right? We believe it, we live it, we let, let it work its way into our lives, and then we go talk about it. We go tell it on the mountain, Christ is born. And this is the reason for the hope that we have. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. Okay, so the key word today from the text is approval. Approval. All right, so if you're taking notes, write approval. I it took me a few days. Y'all know I'm a little slow, but it took me a few days to get there. But I finally, the light bulb came on and I said, ah, that's it. It's approval. That's the motif. That's what's happening here. Divine approval. Do we know? Do we believe? Do we trust? Do we lean on? Do we let divine approval consume every part of who we are? You know, we all look for approval from the people that we love or the people that we work for or those kind of things. You even have people who are sometimes those real direct, strong leaders, and they'll say, well, I don't care what other people think. I just do what I'm going to do, and they can think what they want to. And usually there's a little smoke screen there, right? Everybody cares what people think at some level. It's usually sometimes it's just a very small group of people. Sometimes it's the whole group, and it, you know, it varies. Uh, but so like one example I thought of is my brother Jordan, who y'all know lives in Midland and they've been here to, to visit before. And Jordan is a businessman. He uh, runs a couple of companies. So when he has a business question on how to handle employees or do something like that, he never calls me. He never calls and says, hey, Ryan, uh, I just want to know if, if I have your approval, this is how I handled this situation. Did, did I, how did I do? Did I do that right or whatever? He never, ever calls. But last week they've been remodeling their house. And he was working on the ceiling in their uh, dining area and doing like a coffered ceiling. And he sent me all these pictures and chalk lines and, hey, you see what I'm doing, big brother? You see what I'm doing? Because he knows that's kind of more in my wheelhouse. So he wanted my approval that, okay, I see what you're doing over there in Midland and it looks like it's all going to come together. Way to go. And so we, we look for that. I'll never forget, I shared this at, at my granddad's funeral uh, when we buried him a couple of summers ago. Uh, he would tell me in this real gruff, quiet voice, he was a very serious guy, but he, he left room in every day for laughter and kind of for the pats on the back and to sit at the bar and drink tea and, and shell peanuts together. He, was, he, he loved to play games. And every once in a while, he would come up in something I was doing. I was working for him that he had asked me to do. And he would just kind of pat me on the back and he'd say, well, you done good. You done good. And that was about all. That was as much as, much as you were going to get. But that was like, might as well have been streamers and bullhorns because that was, that was a big deal for him to say, you done good. There weren't a lot of people that done good around granddad. So um, it was actually kind of hard to work with him. So he, uh, but anyways, he would tell me that. And man, that was like, that's all I needed. You know, that's all I needed. That mattered more than grades or anything else I could ever get. That was, that was what I needed. And so our lives in so many ways whether we're standing in front of a mirror or we're evaluating our work at the end of the year, uh, we are searching for approval. From the time we're little, hey, mom, hey, dad, look at this thing that I made. Look at this thing that I did. Hey, boss, look at what I finished and how I came up with this new way to do this and save us time. And, and we're always looking for approval. It's, it's a man's major quest. We're looking for someone to say, hey, that's, 
That's a job well done. You've, you're up to snuff. You as a person, you've, you've made it. You're okay. And by the same token, if you look at, I was just thinking about like the seven deadly sins, which are kind of just summaries for all the ways that we try to make life work without God, all the ways that we try to kind of get our own way and, and save ourselves and do all that stuff. Of all the seven sins, as you kind of read through it, I was thinking about vainglory and avarice and pride. Like these things are all like failed attempts at finding approval, right? I, I, vainglory, it's all about, well, I want to find approval and, er, and everybody's going to give it to me. It's all about image. And there's so many ways that we can do that where we just try to look for that approval somewhere else. And part of our fallen nature as human beings uh, where we're looking for approval, we might say, in all the wrong places. Because we know that we were all created in the image of God. Every human being, whether they believe in God or not, no matter what they do, their entire life, that person was created in the image of God. And therefore, every person is a child of God in that sense. We all have the dignity of being born in the image of God, the Imago Dei. The image of God is in all of us. Every artist that you see, every genius that you see, every uh, person who's doing something well, that's all the image of God shining in that person. And so that's a beautiful thing that's bestowed on all of us. But of course, what happens as a part of the fall that we all, none of us can escape, uh, we read about in the early chapters of Genesis, when humanity had fallen, when we fell and when we it was part of that image inside of us was marred. And, and that's what we're, we're, we're kind of saddled with for all of our lives is that burden of being created in the image of God, but through our own choices and free will, we've got ourselves in a bind. And so we carry that curse of having that image of God marred. And so it's hard for us to search for God. It's hard for us to reach out to someone else. It's hard for us to believe in God. These, these ways, it's like there's, we can see it right over there, but there's a chasm, and we can't walk the bridge. There's no bridge there. We can't figure out how to, you know, hang glide over there. It's really hard to get there, and so we're needing a remedy. We're, we're always needing a solution. We're needing someone to come along and help us bridge that gap, and that's what today's text is all about. Paul is celebrating with his churches. He's saying, can't you see the gap that Jesus has bridged here? That your search for approval can end right here? That God is so well pleased with you and through your baptism he said, you belong to me. You are my son. You are my daughter. With you I am well pleased. Like That's, that's the, the beginning, the plot, and the end of our stories. That's who we are. That's the great news. And so if, you, if you'd like to follow along, we're in Galatians chapter 4 and the text that Watson read for us. And to kind of get in the heart of what's going on, it's helpful to start back to rewind a little bit in chapter 3. And I never thought of this as a Christmas text before, but it really is. It's a great Christmas text that was read for us. It's in the fullness of time, when the time was just right, and we'd been waiting all this time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And it's the, that's the story of Christmas. That's the incarnation. So that's why it's such a great Christmas text. And we rewind here to chapter 3. And we realize this is, Paul's pulling all the language from, from Abraham. He's, he's talking to a lot of Jews and he says, look, I'm bringing this back to Abraham and the promise and the blessing. And it's all through there. Reese, actually, our seven-year-old, helped me count last night. In chapter 3 alone, Abraham is mentioned eight times. 
and then once in chapter 4. So it's very important. He's trying to get their attention with these big words like Abraham because remember the story of Abraham who believed God and God credited credited it, that's hard for me to say, to him as righteousness because he believed in God. It was his faith. And so uh, God blessed Abraham and he said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Or another way of saying that is I'm going to make you the father of the Gentiles. And so many people will come to faith through you, Abraham. Maybe many people will be blessed because of you and I'm blessing you and your descendants to be a blessing to the world, right? Through your belief, and through your passing on your belief through the Jewish people, you will bless the whole world. You'll become a blessing to the whole world. So he's just recalling all the greatest hits of Abraham through chapter 3. And I love it in verse 7. So you see, those who believe are the descendants of Abraham. Paul's asking a rhetorical question. He says, who are the descendants of Abraham? Do you have to be born in a certain place, born of a specific time? Do you have to be circumcised in the flesh? No. He says, actually... Those who believe in Christ are the descendants of Abraham. And so he's laying it out for us. And then he finishes chapter, tw- chapter 3 with this great text. As many of you were baptized, in verse 27, into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew nor Greek. There is no longer slave nor free. There is no longer male nor female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ then you are Abraham's offspring. You are heirs according to the promise. Isn't that great? Because what the Jewish people tended to do, the, the actual biological descendants of Abraham, what they tended to do is lose sight of what the whole thing was really about. Familiar story to any of us, right? We know that story. Uh, it's easy to miss and forget the main point. So all along the way, people would say, oh, well, because of our biological connection to Abraham and because we were literally circumcised in the flesh, we are God's people, no ifs, ands, buts about it. Remember Jesus, his disputes with the Pharisees, right? And they would get to going at it and the Pharisees would say, how dare you talk to us this way? We are Abraham's children. And Jesus would say, y'all are so far gone from Abraham's kids, you can't even find up or down. You've forgotten the main point. You're not, you don't believe in the Messiah. You're not living by faith. You're trusting in that old way, and it ain't going to get you where you need to go. He says, so don't tell me who's the sons of Abraham. Jesus says, I'm telling you, if you don't believe in the Son of God, then you can't get there through the old ways, which is bad news for the people that thought they had it figured out. It's bad news for the people that were trusting a few performance pieces to get to God, but it's really, really great news For those of us that have stumbled into the presence of God and said, gosh, we don't deserve this grace. We don't feel like we came from the right place or knew the right stuff or knew how we could pull our lives back together. And Jesus says, that's perfect. That is perfect. You're just the people that I came for. And Paul says it doesn't matter if you're male or female or Jew or Gentile, slave or free or wherever you come from. Every single person who believes in Christ has come through the waters of baptism We're all one in Christ Jesus. I mean, talk about a a sweeping statement. We're all one in Christ Jesus. It's magnificent. In every age, we seek to make this about something else. And we always wander. The church wanders in every era. But the beauty is that God calls us home. He calls us back and reminds us of divine approval 
He reminds us that not by things that we have done, but by being those who are loved by God, that God sent his son for, that we have a place at the table. We have a place at the table. So, so Christmas is really, it's the way back. It's the way home. Uh, the Christmas story is the way for us to, to find ourselves when we've been out lost and wandering. It's how we find our way home. And Paul really drives this home in, in chapter 4. And, and the text that was read for us, if we kind of back up and start in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, look, my point is this. Because Paul was frustrated because the Galatian churches were chasing after a variety of kind of some new gospels that were coming along. And people were saying, well, you know, that, just as we do, they were adding these little rules that really didn't matter. But they were saying, well, you know, you got to do this and you got to do that. And you got to eat this and you can't be from here and you can't do that. And Paul's like, how quick y'all have wandered from the true gospel. What's going on here? He said, my point is this. Heirs, as long as they're minors, are no better than slaves. Though they are the owners of all the property, but they remain under guardians and trustees until the date set by the father. So we've seen wills. We know how that works. You have things. You say, kids, everything I have is yours, but not until you're 18. Or everything I have is yours, but not until, you know, you grow up and get a real job or whatever it is. We're going to wait until you make it through that. We're not giving you the keys to the kingdom just yet. So Paul says, with us, while we were minors, we were enslaved to the elemental spirits of the world. We were subjected to earth, wind, fire, and water, right? Just the common laws of nature. That's us. While we were, while we were heirs, uh, we were minors, excuse me, that's, that's where we were. We were under the law. That's what Paul means. But when the fullness of time had come, in verse 4, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Saying born under a woman was uh, just another way of saying of low estate, of, of humility, right? That's... Christ condescended uh, to being born in the flesh. Uh, he was born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law. So the, the word redeem or ransom is, is not a religious word. It wasn't a religious word in those days. It was a marketplace word, and it meant to buy back. And it said, right, Jesus came at just the right time when we needed him the most, at just the right time, when we needed to make that transition from minors to full heirs, we needed full accessibility to the divine approval, and just at the right, perfect, magical moment, God sent his son to be born of a woman, born under a law, under the law, in order to buy back, to ransom back, to purchase back those of us who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. Another great, huge, glowing word that only occurs five times in the Bible, adoption. And it's a legal term. And, you know, it, it just means you, you, you are part of the family, not because of how you were born, but you're part of the family because we say you're part of the family. And the, the waters of baptism say you're part of the family. And if you belong to Christ, and you believe in Christ, if you're in Christ, then you're in. You are adopted. And one of the greatest things that's happened, and it's not a new thing, but at least in, in looking around in the time that I've been paying attention to these things, I think one of the greatest triumphs of the church, universal, the church around the world, is how huge an emphasis we have placed on actual adoption. 
uh, whether it's an orphanage, whether it's adoption programs. I was just talking with one of our members this morning about an organization, Buckner International, or we have the Methodist Children's Home, these places that have devoted their entire life and resources to making sure that people who don't have a home find a way home. Nothing says Christianity better than adoption. Uh, you didn't have a home, you didn't have a place to belong, but now you're, we're welcoming you into our family, and so now you have a place to, to belong, you have a new name, and you, know, you have the keys to the kingdom. You are now heirs. You're not, you're not minors anymore, you're heirs, and you can't tell the story any better than that. Paul says, and because you're children, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. It's hard to believe and to lean on that promise that being a child of God is enough. Uh, But Paul says the Holy Spirit even helps us with that. God has sent the Holy Spirit. It's this great trinity language here of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit interacting. The Son, who's existed eternally, is begotten of uh, Mary and of God and is here and born among you. And the Holy Spirit comes to help you believe in Jesus and to help you cry out, Abba, Father. Abba was an, uh, an Aramaic word. It, just, it was kind of this informal way of saying, you know, whatever you called uh, a, a beloved parental figure, dad or daddy or papa or something like that. It wasn't the formal language we typically use for prayer. And so our Abba, the Spirit helps us to cry out, Abba, Father, and reminds us of who we are and where we've come from and where we're headed. So I think as we just process that. Well, one more thing. Paul doesn't do this very often, so I think it's important to pick it up. Uh, typically, when Paul in his letters, when you're reading Galatians or Philippians or Ephesians, and you see the word you in English, it usually should be translated y'all. So he's writing to a group of people, so in these letters would be read in churches and that kind of thing. So it would be over and over again, it would be y'all, 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 you know, y'all, y'all, y'all. It would just over and over again. So it's hard to read it and not know. So it's typically it's y'all. And he starts out with we and us and y'all. But watch what happens in verse 7. He changes to, so you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. He moves from y'all to you. He doesn't want us to miss the point. So it's, he's talking directly to his people. He's talking directly through the Spirit to us. And it's not just y'all, it's not just everybody, but it's you. It's me. It's very personal. You and I are no longer slaves, but we're children of God. And so as we leave this place, it occurs to me that there's kind of two things that we do with that Christmas news. Uh, The first one is we continue to believe in it. And we have the grace to believe and to appropriate it, to remind ourselves that, yeah, we have believed in Jesus. It's a struggle at times. And maybe we've come over here and said, you know, I really have been doubting this about God. But I've leaned into Christ and I've trusted my life and my well-being with Jesus. And I've said, take everything else away from me. 
I don't care whatever else happens, but I'm putting, I'm casting my lot with you, Lord. You are the one that I'm going to trust above all else. I love my parents to death. They're wonderful, but you are the one that I'm going to lean on. And your approval, I'm going to care about the most. And I'm going to remember how you feel about me, what you think about me, and what you've said about me, and that I was worth enough for you to abandon the comfort of heaven and come down and live among us. So it's continuing to believe that story, to live that story, and to allow that story to change us. Because if we live with that story very long, it makes us different people. Uh, You can't live with that news. You can't cry out, Abba, Father, day in and day out, and stay the same kind of person. We just can't help it. We will change. We will be transformed more and more into the image of God. We will recover slowly that image of God that was lost. We will begin to look differently. Our behaviors will be different. Our countenance will be different. Our thoughts will be different. Our hearts will be different. It's just how the Spirit of God works. And if that's happening, y'all know this, you just can't hold it inside, right? When there's news that's just too good to share, to not share, that, that's when you're getting into the good stuff. And that's what happens. That's why one of the great Christmas songs is Go Tell It on the Mountain. They were fixing to sing together. That's the, that's the next step, right? We believe it. We live it. We let, let it work its way into our lives. And then we go talk about it. We go tell it on the mountain. Christ is born. And this is the reason for the hope that we have. Not because I've done X, Y, Z. Not because I have the approval of this community or that group or this family. But I have divine approval, not of anything that I've done, but for what Christ has done for us. And so that's what we go and talk about on the mountaintops. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.